Hey guys, welcome back to episode 5 of Reading with Grace. Today we will be picking up from chapter 20, but first a recap of chapters 14 through 19. So Alex was pretty much in his darkest place with no magic, not talking to his friends, and thinking about Aaron. Plus, Lonnie won't stop using magic on him and he is very annoyed with her. Then things got even worse because Alex was accidentally not in the mansion when the governors came for a six-month check-in. Thankfully, they saw nothing due to Mr. Today's magic, but everyone in Artme is upset and frustrated with Alex now for almost getting them caught. Alex also discovered a boat that had the name Claire on the side. A meeting was held with Mr. Today and the instructors of Artme to talk about Alex. They have been holding Alex back on his magic training, afraid he would get in contact with his twin but decided to let him start training anyway. Mr. Today decided to start training warriors for battle. And lastly, in chapter 19, we got a look at how Aaron's life is going as a wanted, and how he is excelling in his study so much that he was honored with a meal with the high priest Justine. He invented a farm in Quill called the Favored Farm, which consisted of the best growing food and livestock in Quill. He missed Alex a little and then told himself to stop thinking about it because, as far as he knows, Alex is gone and should not be thought about anymore. So that's the end of the summary, guys. But I wanted to inform you that I will not be posting this Thursday as usual or whenever time it would be for you when I post during the week a second time. I will be resuming posting as usual on the 2nd of May or however I post times for you. Anyways, just wanted to let you guys know and that's it. So enjoy the episode. 20. Magical Warrior Training Miss Octavia was sitting at her desk, her half-glasses perched precariously on her snout, and her appendages involved in a half-dozen independent activities, when Alex shuffled in. He stopped awkwardly just inside the doorway, feeling sheepish about having missed class the previous day, watching the octagator scribble with one arm on a paper on her desk and another arm on the chalkboard behind her, while a third painted on an easel at her side. When Miss Octavia noticed Alex, she stopped all her activities and smiled. Come in, she said, sit. Alex sidled up to her desk and sat in the chair beside her. Feeling better today? Miss Octavia asked. I, yes. I'm a bit worried about you, Miss Octavia's smile faded, and her voice took on a serious tone. Would you care to talk about what's been bothering you lately, Alex? Alex blushed crimson. He squirmed in his seat. I, um... Miss Octavia waited patiently. Finally, she patted him on the shoulder. It's okay. Let's talk about your magical warrior training instead. I am sure you are as excited as I am to start. Alex breathed a sigh of relief. Yes, ma'am. In fact, you are probably wondering why I've held you back this long. It must have been excruciating for you. Well, Alex looked at his shoes. It sure seemed like it was fun for everybody else to pull their spell pranks on me. He thought of Lonnie. I felt like I must have been really bad at this to be held back so long. Miss Octavia closed her eyes and sighed. When she opened her eyes, she looked at the classroom doorway and nodded. Come in, Marcus, she said. Alex turned in his chair. Mr. Today entered the room and closed the door behind him. I'm afraid that I'm the one to blame for your troubles, Alex, he said. Alex didn't know what to say, and all I could think was, oh. I do not want you to blame Miss Octavia, for she was following my orders. Mr. Today rested his fingers on the edge of Miss Octavia's desk, but he did not sit down. All I can tell you right now is this. I held you back because I thought I was protecting you and Artme, but I was wrong, my boy. You have gifts beyond compare. I look forward to watching your progress. I thank you, sir. Alex desperately wanted to know how holding him back was protecting anyone, but he dared not to ask. Mr. Jude nodded, and though his eyes were weary, there was a slight twinkle in them as well. 
Now get to work, he smiled and left the room. Alex blinked. Well, that's settled now, isn't it? Miss Octavia said hurriedly. Let's do get to work, shall we? Alex nodded swiftly, and a grin spread across his face as Mrs. Octavia pulled a component vest from her classroom closet. She handed it to him. Congratulations, she said, her smile toothy and genuine. Alex put it on. Thanks, he said, too choked up to say more. Finally, he thought, finally. First, Miss Octavia said, we'll discuss the fundamentals of magic. She opened a drawer and pulled out a handful of ordinary art supplies, a paintbrush, a pencil, a rubber eraser, several paper clips, and a piece of chalk. Alex watched her lay them all out on the desk. Miss Octavia took a paper clip, unwound it, and bent it so that it looked like more like a triangle, with the two ends of it crossing and sticking out prominently. With her other appendages, she did the same to the other paper clips. Everything we create here in Artemis has a little bit of magic in it already, Alex. So the true basis for these tools to work as weapons is in your mind, and your ability to concentrate and direct objects to do what they are supposed to do. She ended five of the newly shaped clips to Alex and kept five for herself. In this shape, we call them scatter clips, she said. Alex soon saw why. Miss Octavia glided around the desk and pulled one arm back as if she were going to throw a baseball. Right now, Alex, I'm concentrating on that picture of the wall across the room. I'm focusing on the center of it, and that is where I want to direct my throw. She threw a handful of scatter clips and together all five soared toward the center of the portrait. At the last second, they separated and veered to the edges of the canvas and stuck soundly through the wooden frame into the wall. Cool, muttered Alex under his breath. Miss Octavia flashed him a toothy grin but grew serious again. Your mind must be able to focus on the center of your target, Alex, and you need to trust that the scatter clips will find the edges on their own. If you do not have faith in the clips, they will not veer properly and they will not work correctly. So it is important to be calm but to be thinking clearly when using these items as weapons if you wish to be successful. Alex nodded, the scatter clips in his hand becoming moist with nervous sweat. May I try? Fire away indeed. Alex pulled his left arm back and focused on the center of the portrait, then flung with all his might. The scatter clips smacked into the center of the portrait and clattered to the floor. Alex's face fell. Miss Octavia smiled. If you'd managed to do it the first time, you would have been the first in Artemis' history to do it. Try again, this time focusing on throwing accurately rather than forcefully. The clips have the magical power to get there. We don't want you throwing your arm out of its socket on your first day. She chuckled as Alex scurried over to the wall to pick up his clips. Alex's second try resulted in one clip veering off beautifully to the upper left-hand corner of the portrait, while the rest of the clips fell uselessly to the floor again. Well done, Miss Octavia praised. I have a theory that left-hand pick-up on the throwing spells more easily than the righties do. It was a good one to start with, and you have proven my theory worthy, my boy. Thanks, Alex said, not quite as delighted as his instructor seemed to be over the progress, but thrilled nonetheless to finally have the chance to use art as a weapon. Mind you, Miss Octavia warned, scatter clips are not to be toyed with. They can be lethal, or at least cause great harm when coupled with a verbal incantation. But for now, we'll stick with the silent method. Try again. Alex concentrated and threw again and again and again. When the hour of their training was nearly over, he had succeeded in skillfully embedding the scatter clips into the edges of the portrait five times in a row. Now, Miss Octavia said, throw them at me. What? No, I can't. Yes, you can, she said smoothly. I trust you. You'll do fine. But I want you to see what the clips will do when you have a live enemy. But, Alex, it's in order. Miss Octavia stood as tall as she could against the wall and made sure all her appendages were down at her sides and not floating about as they sometimes did when she was thinking hard. Alex hesitated, staring helplessly at his instructor. How can I? What if something goes wrong? Miss Octavia stared at Alex. Alex, 
I cannot express how urgent it is that you get over your fear. Because one day, I expect sooner rather than later, you will have to fight. It is my job to prepare you, so concentrate, focus, and throw. Do it now. Her stern voice echoed in Alex's ears. Finally, he nodded, pulled back his arm, focused on the center of gravity, and concentrated. He threw the scatter clips, and they soared together as one bunch. Then, at the last possible moment, they separated from the pack, found their marks, and stuck fast. Miss Octavia didn't even blink. Good! Now see? I'm stuck here. The clips have secured me to this wall through my clothing. They have not pierced my skin. You have succeeded in stopping me from moving, attacking, or fighting until I can manage to release myself from their grasp. Alex, who had been holding his breath all this time, sighed in relief. He wiped the sweat off his forehead with the back of his hand. Release? Miss Octavia said, and the scatterclips dropped to the floor. She stepped away from the wall and gathered them up. So, Alex said, thinking out loud, the enemy has to be standing in front of a wall in order for them to work? That's not very convenient. Not necessarily a wall. A tree will do. But there are other ways to direct the clips. She leaned in conspiratorially. Your friends likely haven't gotten to this in their training yet, since they learned from their own focus spells first. But I will tell you if you promise not to use it on anyone but a true enemy. Alex's eyes widened. He nodded. I promise. Miss Octavia grinned. If your target is standing in an open area, your verbal component of the spell is propel. You say it when you release the clips. The clips will then veer off as usual, but they'll continue to fly, dragging your enemy as far as necessary until they find something solid to attach to. Smokes, Alex said, his eyes lighting up. Indeed. Sometimes you can pick up another enemy or two along the way, and they'll be stacked. It's great fun to watch, she admitted. You must be careful, though, that there are no friends in the path behind your enemy, or they could get snagged as well. Wow, Alex said. What else can they do? He held the scatterclips in his hand and looked at them with new admiration. Well, Miss Octavia said, growing serious again, as I said before, they can cause injury or death, but one must know the verbal component for that. What is it? Alex asked. Miss Octavia hesitated. She pursed her white lips together, hiding all of her teeth. I don't think you're quite ready for that. It's an upper-level spell, a bit too dangerous in the hands of a first year. Alex nodded, even though he was very disappointed. I understand, he said. He was just thankful to be learning spells at all. But his mind raced, wondering what the powerful words could possibly be. 21. Lessons and Warnings Alex flew through his first weeks of magical warrior training, determined to catch up to the others. Whenever he wasn't in class or in training, learning how to paint himself invisible, studying slam poetry charms, or drawing chalk outlines that would freeze a targeted person in one position indefinitely, he was in his room practicing all these things. He slipped into his classes late and left early so he wouldn't have to talk to anyone. He took most of his meals in his room, still percolating with disgust at Lonnie for continuing to badger him with all her pranks. He didn't respond to any of his friends who left messages for him through his blackboard, though Clive, of course, delivered all of the messages rather loudly. Alex wished desperately to have his shush button back. And so it was that ever since the governor's visit, Alex had completely abandoned his friends. Yet he missed the companionship they'd all had during those moments when they weren't laughing at him or disgusted by him. Finally, one morning, Alex decided to come down to the dining room to eat. Why won't you answer our messages? Lonnie demanded over breakfast. She pouted dramatically. Yes, why? Megan said. Alex put his breakfast on the table and sat down wearily. He was tired of being yelled at. He looked at Sam Heed, who simply raised an eyebrow and took another spoonful of jam for his toast. Hello, Sam Heed, Alex said pointedly. Alex? His mouth was too full to say any more. It's not like we are going to yell at you. We just... We were worried since you haven't been around, Lonnie said. 
I wasn't worried, Sammy said after swallowing. You were worried. I meant Meg and me, Lonnie shot Sammy the cross look. I wasn't worried either, offered Megan. Well, not much anyway. Lonnie blushed furiously and flounced in her seat. Fine, I was worried. Well, get on with it then, Alex said. Have at me and get over it with. You mean the governor's inspection thing? asked Megan. It's over. Hardly anybody's talking about it now. Yeah, right. Then why is Miss Morning sitting over there shooting pins at me with her eyes? Megan turned to look at her focus instructor and waved. Miss Morning startled and blinked, and then her face broke into a pleasant, almost sheepish smile as she nodded hello. See, Alex, she wasn't even looking at you. Alex shrugged and began to respond when the giant blackboard in the dining hall came to life, and Oscar, for that was his name, spoke. Attention, students, please report to the theater in place of your first class this morning. The children could hear the announcement ringing in the stereo throughout the mansion. Oscar melted into the screen once again, and the words he'd just spoken in writing were in large neon letters sure to catch the attention of even the least aware. Oh, look, Alex, Sam, he said. They've added bright colors to make sure you don't miss it. On a normal day, when Alex might have been in a better mood, he would have laughed or fired back a reply just as snide. But there hadn't been any ordinary dice for Alex in well over a month. And even though he was thrilled with his first weeks of warrior training, he was still very hurt that Lonnie kept knocking him off his feet with spells, even though he'd asked her to stop. And he still felt bad about the mess he caused with the governor's visit. And he was still very lonely, missing Aaron, and probably in need of a kind word. But none of his friends seemed compelled to give it now that he'd snubbed them so much. And he didn't care much for Sam Heath's sarcasm this particular morning, after he'd gotten a full dose of mocking from Clive already, who had laughed and laughed when Alex had failed several times to cast some invisibility paintbrush spell on himself. And so, instead of ignoring it, Alex shoved his chair back and leaned towards Sam Heed, his clenched fist on the table, a wild look in his eyes. Not funny, Burkish. Jeez, Alex, it was just a joke. I've had about enough of everybody's blasted jokes, Alex said. Ease up, man, Sam Heed said, pushing his chair back slowly. He knew Alex was no match for him, and he didn't want to punch him back in the face again. Me? Ease up? Oh, that's ripe. Alex slowly moved around at the table towards Sam Heed. Lonnie stood up. I'll take him down for you, Sam, she began speaking in incantation. Alex whirled around to face her. And you, one day soon, you're going to be very sorry you did that. He stopped short and stared as Lonnie pointed up in the air above Alex's head and shrieked, frozen mid-spell. She fell to the floor. Immediately, the dining room erupted into shouts and fearful screams. What? Who? Alex whipped him around to see what had happened. Sam heed a shocked look on his face, pointed upward and then dove under a nearby table, while Megan scrambled out of her chair and ran for safety. Alex looked up. Descending toward their table at a rapid rate were the enormous black paws of the great winged cheetah statue nearly upon him. He dove off to the side, almost getting slammed across the room when the tip of the cheetah's stone wing caught him on the back. Simber landed gracefully, though his wings flapped with such force that the wind blew the teacups right out of their saucers. Enough, he roared, looking at Wani. Save your spells for your enemies. And after a moment of complete silence, the enormous creature ceremoniously folded in his wings, turned about carefully in the space between the tables, and loped gracefully back through the dining room and down the hallway to the front entrance, where he leaped up and assumed his normal position. Miss Morning rushed over to the table, helping Lonnie sit up and making sure Alex was okay. Sam he crawled back out from under the table and brushed himself off, and Megan returned wide-eyed as well. The room remained hushed as the four stood there looking at each other. Lonnie was still a bit pale and shaky, but otherwise unharmed. That is, if you didn't count the pointing and laughing from others. For days and years to come for being the one who drove Simber just a little bit over the edge. The four, no longer having much of an appetite, turned without further ado and made their way to the tubes, meeting again in a theater a split second later. 
There was no need to mention the event again. One of them wished to forget it entirely, while another hoped to remember it forever as the time the most frightening creature in all of Artemis came to his defense. Desperately, Alex wished it would set in motion a better, happier time. He bit his lip, thinking he was the big reason things weren't good now. He glanced at Lonnie, feeling bad about his outburst. He really needed to get a handle on things. Sorry, guys, he said as they walked toward their seats. I've been kind of a jerk lately. Megan smiled, and Sammy punched Alex lightly in the shoulder. Lonnie just nodded and kept her eyes on the floor. It's okay, she said finally. The seats in the theater filled rapidly, and one could hear murmurs throughout the crowd, half of them discussing the drama of the dining room, and the other half wondering what could be so important as to prompt a meeting such as this, with all of the creatures, students, instructors, families, even the little children required to attend. Simba and Florence appeared rather suddenly as well, standing elegant and tall near the back, and Megan wondered for a moment how they could have possibly fit in the tubes. But when Mr. Today walked briskly to the stage, all stray thoughts ceased with the buzz of the crowd. Most of the creatures sat near the front since they were shorter than the humans. The winged creatures hovered at the ceiling, including Jim, who sort of bounced up and down like a yo-yo in his slow, flapping fashion. Each push down with his powerful wings brought him to the ceiling, and each flap up allowed him to sink several feet, sometimes more, such that the creature sitting directly below him glanced up nervously from time to time just to make sure he wasn't about to freefall and make feather cakes out of them. Good morning, Mr. Today said. The crowd was silent. Even the Pratiplots held their tongues whenever Mr. Today began speaking, though it was surely very difficult for them, especially when they could have had such a large audience. Thank you for coming on such short notice. Which reminds me, has anybody seen Alex Stowe? What's that? Oh, he's here? Tremendous. The maze struggled heartily and smiled in Alex's direction, and the crowd laughed as well, some feeling quite relieved that Mr. Today was making a joke out of it. Alex turned bright red and grinned reluctantly, which turned out to be the best thing he could have done. It took the pressure off him enormously. Later, when he thought about it again, Alex was quite grateful for the attention. To the business of the day, the task we must face, Mr. Today began in a serious tone of voice. First of all, I do not wish to frighten anyone. We've all learned that there is enough fear of the unknown of Quill to strike us onto a panic on a whim even years later. Fear is a difficult thing to unlearn, but you know that is not my way of doing things. Rather, I called you here this morning because I did not wish to hide anything from you. He paused, his eyes roaming the crowd. I have reason to believe, as I have made clear for the past several years, that we may at some point be discovered. You all know this. I've never tried to hide it. And while Artemis is magic, it was created by my flawed human hands. And therefore, perfection, complete safety, isolation, is not something I've ever promised or will ever promise you. Today I come before you with nothing more than a hunch, an inkling that some time before the next class of unwanted arrives in a few months from now, and yes, some time could mean in the next week, or could mean the day of the purge, but I rather think it will come somewhere in between, where we will be discovered by the people of Quill. A wave of whispers passed from one end of the theater to the other. What will happen then, you may be asking? I do not have the answer, perhaps nothing at all. But more likely, the High Priest Justine and her governors will be so completely furious that they will stop at nothing to kill us all. In the silence that followed, no one panicked. Each member of the crowd realized that they had been preparing for a day like this to come. And when nobody wanted it, everyone knew the purpose of magical warrior training and the potential danger that faced them. And since most humans in this room had faced death once before, this was not a big shock to them as it might have been. And so, Mr. Day continued, Today we will begin preparing in earnest, and we shall be adding more group classes to help us better learn the benefits of fighting as warriors together, rather than individuals, each with his own plan. 
We will be doubling our instruction in spellcasting and offering you opportunities to create spells of your own. You'll have plenty of chances to practice in class. Please do keep in mind that while I do not wish to tell you how to fight, for we all have our own different methods of emotions involved within the same issue, it is my personal policy to use non-lethal weapons and creative ingenuity to fight. Some of you will feel that it is wrong to kill another person no matter the reason, no matter that they have once tried to kill you. You will no doubt create other means to protect yourselves and those around you. Others of you still see faith, anger, and spite for what the brainwashed people of Quill have done to you, and you will not hesitate to give them the same sentence that they once gave to you, or at least the sentence they didn't stop from happening. To you, I ask only that you begin now to consider your future actions and your motivations, so that you are sure of your choices. I don't wish for anyone to live a regret-hasty decision for the rest of his life. Mr. Jade lowered his head for a moment and then went on in a strong voice. Be assured, my dear citizens, that it takes more than strength and intelligence to win a battle. It takes creativity and skill and common sense, and Artemis is brimming with it. Let's work together now, everyone, to maximize our ingenuity and skills, to grow strong and confident, to take on any challenge that comes our way with reason and dignity. My greatest hope, he said with conclusion, is that my hunch is incorrect, but if it is not, we shall be prepared. Mr. Today folded his fingers together and bowed his head slightly. The people of Artime hesitated, and then rallied together in cheers and applause for their beloved leader. In the ruckus, no one seemed to notice Will Blair and Sam Heed sneaking away to the tubes. 22. Together in Action Sam Heed was the last to arrive at the Library of Magical Art. He plopped down in a chair next to Lonnie, who leaned over a large ornate book of spells, reading intently. Alice and Megan worked together with colorful sheets of origami paper, first following directions they had received in their group warrior class, and then branching out a little. Alex was determined not only to catch up to the others in his private warrior lessons, but also to make something of his name for himself by creating a unique charm that actually worked and was useful. Cute, Sam Eade said sarcastically. He set his scripts on the table in front of him and peered more closely at the three-dimensional paper animals that lay strewn about the table. He picked one up, a green dragon no bigger than the palm of his hand. What are they supposed to do again? That one doesn't seem to be doing anything, Megan mused in a puzzled voice. I can't figure it out. The thing just flies around in a circle and fizzes out. What good is that? Sammy tried throwing the paper like an airplane, and indeed it circled around the table, flapped its wings a few times awkwardly, and crash-landed onto the table. What gives, Alex? Isn't this your specialty? I'm trying, Alex muttered. I have a distinct disadvantage here, you realize. That old crutch, Sammy said. You'll never catch up with that attitude. Alex made a nasty face. Stop it, you two. We're supposed to work together, remember? Megan was growing exceedingly frustrated and cross. Lonnie looked up, somewhat bewildered. Oh, you're here, she said evenly to Sam Heed. But he was busy studying Alex as he worked. She glanced at Alex briefly and immediately buried herself back in the book. Alex picked up the dragon and turned it around gently in his hands, mentally going over every precise folding instruction and matching up to the proper fold of the dragon. He shook his head. We have folded it properly, he said. So why? Sammy furrowed his brow. Well, it hasn't got any eyes, he said. How's it supposed to see without them? That's the most ridiculous. Alex began and then stopped short. Begrudgingly, he withdrew a handful of colored pencils from his art case. All right, eyes. He expertly outlined two eyes and colored them in, giving the dragon deep low irises and large black pupils. There, so we can see better at night, he said dryly. He sent the dragon to float once more and circled it neatly the same time before, but this time it landed gently on the table in front of Alex. It blinked once and looked up at the boy. Oh, hello, Alex said to the dragon and then looked back up at his friends. 
That helped the landing, at least. Megan grinned. He's adorable. I want to keep him. Sammy rolled his eyes and snorted, bringing Bonnie back to awareness. She blinked, taking in the mess of the papers and origami animals scattered about the table, and began to watch curiously as Alex started drawing on the dragon again. A tongue. His own tongue poked out of the side of his mouth as he drew. And flames, of course. He suddenly added a bright orange burst inside the dragon's mouth. When he was finished, he set the dragon flying again. It circled just as before, landed softly in front of Alex, and blew flame from his mouth and singed the hair on Alex's arm. Youch! he cried. Sam Heed and Megan laughed as Alex shook his arm in surprise. Lonnie, still watching with a bored look, said, You have to tell him where to go, you dolt. She picked him up with that word down in the lounge from Earl, who used it liberally. Or else he'd keep coming back to you. Megan slapped her hand to her forehead. Ugh, that's it! Of course you're right, Lonnie. Mm-hmm. Lonnie nodded absent-mindedly as she engaged herself with reading again. Alex picked up the dragon again, looking around the library. Attack the statue, he said, and sent the dragon flying through the air. This time, the dragon flapped its wings and raced to the statue, streaking through the air so quickly that all the children could see was a green blur. It sent flames shooting brightly from its mouth when it made contact, hovering against the statue's body for a moment until the dragon itself exploded into a little ball of fire and dropped to the floor. The statue, a grim-looking ostrich, opened its eyes and glared at Alex. Do you mind? the bird said. Oh, sorry, Alex said hastily. I thought you were one of the, um, the non-living ones. We're all alive, thank you very much. Some of us choose not to reveal that in front of bratty, unreliable, spell-casting children, however. I won't do it again, Alex said with a sheepish smile. Sure, muttered the ostrich. She stretched out her bent legs carefully as if she held the position a very long time and then limped off to cut cover behind a tall bookshelf. The dragon had by now burned up completely, leaving a small heap of ashes on the floor. Sam, he went to pick them up and tossed them in a waste can. Not bad, Stowe, he said. Can you make an army of them? Sure, now that I know how, Alex said. Megan caught Alex's eye, then looked at Lonnie meaningfully. Oh, Alex said. Oh, I mean, thanks to Lonnie. Hmm? Lonnie said, looking up, blinking her long lashes. Alex held her gaze for a moment before he hurriedly looked away. Hi, I mean, thanks, uh, never mind, he said, suddenly feeling terribly self-conscious. In the back of his mind, he began to wonder when it was Lonnie had stopped acting and looking like a kid. And then he noticed her book. What are you reading about, he asked. She turned the gilded page. Killing spells, she said. Seriously? Wow. He tried to imagine Lonnie killing someone. He thought for a moment and his eyes narrowed. You're not going to practice on me, are you? Lonnie laughed. Depends, she said. She didn't tell him that there were any actual spells in the book. Just scholarly discussions on the topic written by people with names she'd never heard before. I guess you better be nice to me. Alex felt the heat rise to his face as Lonnie, grinning, watched him squirm. Okay, he said lightly, and then he scrambled to pack up his things and disappeared. 23. Gaining Ground By the end of the wink, all the students were ready to begin practicing their fighting skills. Teen warrior classes were held on the lawn, and in addition to a hundred or so teen students were another hundred or so adults and instructors, including Scene Ranger and many other recent graduates. Leaning the instructor that day was none other than Florence herself. The enormous ebony stone woman glided across the lawn so gracefully that the children had to remind themselves she was actually a very heavy statue. They kept their toes tucked in whenever she walked past, just in case. Students, line up with your backs to the water, she boomed. Experts, take 20 paces and face the students. Everyone moved to the requested locations. Experts, prepare your defenses. The experts held up rusty shields that looked similar to what the quilletary might use if attacked. 
Where'd they get those? Alex whispered to Sam Heed. Stole them, maybe? Sam Heed guessed. Or just made them in some class. Stole them? How? I'm not saying anybody stole them, Sam Heed said impactively. I just figured somebody went invisible in the middle of the night to the quarry yard, made the shields invisible too, and snagged them. It's more likely we just made them here, though. Florence casting a withering look at the two boys. Students, prepare to fire. Five rounds. Alex hurriedly pulled the five newly created weapons from his pocket and stood nearby. How would anybody be able to get out of here anyway, he whispered again, as Florence walked down the road to inspect the weapons. Just open the gate? Nah, Sam Heed said. That wouldn't work. It's locked from the outside. What then? I don't know, Sam Heed sounded irritated. Why are you asking me? I wouldn't know anything about it. He glanced uneasily around. Quiet, thundered Florence. Students, fire five rounds on the count of three. Alex bit his lip and prepared to fire his first origami dragon. When Florence cut out, three, Alex whispered to the dragon, attack enemy one. He tossed the little dragon a little too hard in his excitement. It stumbled through the air and got caught in a nosedive, unable to recover. It hit the ground, exploded in a small fire, and fizzled. Blast it, Alex muttered, and Sam Heed's dragon hit its mark. There's art in the toss, Alex, Florence said. Alex tried again as small explosions could be heard up and down the lawn, some hitting their marks, others missing quite horribly. His second try worked better, but it still fell short of the expert twenty paces away. Blast it, Alex said again. He gave up on the origami and instead pulled out a splatter paint brush. Holding onto the handle, he drew his arm back over his head and with all his force snapped his wrist, singing a shower of brown paint toward the expert across from him. When it hit its mark, the paint spread across the expert's shield and crept over her arm, and within seconds the woman's entire body was encased in a magical mold of splatter paint. Indeed, she quite looked like she was coated in a crisp chocolate shell, good enough to eat. Yes! Alex cried out. The expert across from him stood frozen in place. Alex took down the row of students, tossed, pointed, and spoke artfully at the willing adults. He watched Lonnie project resounding words of destruction at her partner, and slowly the adult's face grew fearful. He began to sob, and soon he turned and ran away toward the jungle. While Sam had offered random stage directions, causing his partner to run away this way and that, banging into other adults and knocking over Alex's stiff, chocolatey partner. Megan pulled out her piccolo and caused her partner to fall asleep, and so it went all the way down the line. Soon Florence clapped her hands. The sound was like thunder. All effects of the spells vanished immediately, and the experts got up from the ground or came back from their positions. Good nature grins on their faces. Not bad, not bad, Florence said. For the first time, anyway. We'll do a few more rounds. This time, students, please assist the other students around you once you have successfully rendered your expert defenseless. We are a team, and working together yields the greatest rewards with the least amount of energy. The statue glanced up and down both rows. Try different spells this time, she said. Lonnie pulled a handful of paper clips from her pocket. Megan put her piccolo away and positioned herself to do a fire step. Sammy withdrew a long black ink pen from his vest, and Alex rolled a small bowl of sculpting clay between his thumb and forefinger, ready to try his very own creation. At Florence's go, they all attacked, and more confident now, all succeeded within the first three attempts. The experts were immobilized. We are amazing, Megan said proudly, as her partner ran off shouting, his feet growing unbearably warm. Yes, Alex said. His clay had formed handcuffs and bolted the wrists and ankles of his opponent on the ground. Not bad at all, said Lonnie as her partner wriggled to get loose from the scatter clips, which had gone right through the shield and pinned the expert's clothing to a nearby tree. You know, there are all lethal ways to use lots of these ordinary spells, she whispered to Sam Heed, who was next to her. I've been reading about them. I wish we could start learning them now, Sam Heed said impatiently, as Florence released the spells and once again the experts returned. Very good, Florence said. One more round and we'll dismiss for the day. At our next class, I want you to all return with magic spells of your own design. Nothing lethal, remember? 
She paused and gave the students a weighty look. We'll save those for another time. Sam Mead's stomach flipped with anticipation.